0: All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Kriyan's Over Coffee. Coffee. So, Today, we're going to continue in our med ed series. And rather than talking about like educational theory or something like to take to the classroom or the wards, we're going to talk a little bit about the application cycle. And I think what's most exciting for me and Faye is that we just came out of the MFM application cycle. And so while it's still fresh in our minds, we want to try and unload what we can so that way people who are applying next year or the year after that might have a good idea of what our experience was.
1: Exactly. And the nice thing is um, our classmates very conveniently decided to apply into all the other specialties. So we'll be interviewing them about how to apply to urogyne, family planning, REI, and gynecology oncology.
0: So get excited because you will have a couple episodes really devoted to the match. Some disclosures before we start, though. All of us in these episodes are coming from the same institution. Now, you probably know at this point that we're all at Brown, um, which is a large academic institution. So what we say may ultimately not apply to those of you who are coming from places that are considered smaller programs or community or hybrid type of programs. Um, And so, no, we'd always apply that little asterisk, though, from our conversations with our colleagues that we've met on the interview trail or at meetings previously, we will definitely share those tips as we get them.
1: So let's start off with our first question, which is what is MFM? Hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what MFM is and you are already thinking about applying into it, but we thought we'd go back to the basics. So MFM is maternal fetal medicine. It's a subspecialty in OBGYN that focuses on high-risk pregnancies, and you do have to do a three-year fellowship after your OBGYN residency to become a maternal fetal medicine specialist. The thing that I love about MFM is that it's really anything that you want to make it. So whether you like ultrasounds or you just like clinical high-risk OB or you like needle procedures or outpatient consults, fetal therapy, maybe critical care, you can really do any of these things with a career in maternal fetal medicine. Um, So clearly I'm enthusiastic about this, which is great.
0: Yeah, so kind of as you get started in residency, or even if we have medical students listening to the podcast that have decided on OBGYN and they're thinking down the road and are trying to determine that they want to do MFM, now your first task in years say one and two of your residency is to figure out that you want to do MFM. Most places will have an MFM rotation in your first or second year. Um, and so you want to rotate through there and you wanna look to see what your attendings do and Figure out like, do I really like MFM? No, there's a difference between liking, no. general obstetrics and labor versus liking high-risk pregnancy and the activity of MFM, and i think that sometimes like people who are on the fence of like oh i love obstetrics but i don't really want to do that ultrasound bit know that that's fine there's definitely a role for that but you should really like think about know what things appeal to you about the subspecialty similarly in years one and two you want to think about no research and not necessarily like Jumping in and trying to get your abstracts at SMFM, though, if you're doing that, you're a superstar. Um, But you want to know what's happening around you and if you can get involved with that. And if you're coming from a smaller program that, say, maybe doesn't have as strong of an MFM presence or doesn't have an MFM division in house, can you get involved with research that's happening elsewhere? Surprisingly enough, you know, we heard Faye and I at SMFM this year that people just really reach out, like, Hours away, like, hey, I love this work that you're doing and I think it's so cool. What can I do to assist? And people are surprisingly receptive in the community.
1: The other thing that you can do in your first and second year is if you already know what research you're interested in, you can actually start a research project or two. And that doesn't mean, you know, doing a, a huge randomized controlled trial and residency, um, because that's usually not possible. But even if you want to do a retrospective study or jump onto a study that a fellow or maybe junior faculty are doing, these are always great ways to become involved and to get interested and be involved with people who are thinking of these new questions in MFM. The other thing that I would recommend is finding a mentor, Um, and for us at an institution where there is a maternal fetal medicine division, that is something that we were able to do very easily in our first and second year. But even for people who are in a place where there isn't an MFM division, reaching out to people uh, in the community or reaching out to a place that does have a division and having someone there that you're in contact with that can advocate for you in the future.
0: If you have the resources in years one and two, or if your institution sponsors it, you should go to SMFM. Really, like the world becomes so small when you're at SMFM, and even though it's a big meeting, everybody knows everybody. Um, And I think that's one of the more exciting things about the meeting finally no we're obviously Creogs over coffee right so we want to help you do well on your Kriogs, and we have a vested interest in saying you should do well on your creoogs uh,
1: listen to our podcast <laughs>
0: um, and definitely like you want to you want to be doing well on your Creogs wherever you apply to fellowship anecdotally I'll say no there weren't a ton of MFM fellowship programs that asked me for my Creog scores though there were a couple of
1: So in terms of going forward in residency, next is your third year, which is really where the bulk of your work of applying and doing all these things kind of come into play. So in your third year, you want to continue your research projects. You want to talk about your interests with your mentors um, and really start to identify people that can write you your letters of recommendation, people that know you well, people that you've worked with, and people who can potentially vouch for you. The other thing at the beginning of your third year, um, which just kind of rolled by, October 1st is the deadline to apply for the Quilligan Scholars Program, which is a sponsored um, program by the Foundation of Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine that identifies early leaders in maternal fetal medicine in their third year of residency. This is an application process that you do online and you submit. Um, Eight scholars are uh, chosen a year, and the benefit is that you get paired with leaders in the field, and they sponsor you to go to SMFM annual meetings in your third year and your fourth year. And this is a really great way for you to get involved with the community, get involved with mentors that may not be at your home institution.
0: The very fabulous fake high is a Quilligan Scholar. Kind of in the middle of the year around January, though, you want to start looking into the application process itself. And you want to start sitting down with mentors and really thinking about you know your own sort of personal goals and thought processes, and applying that to deciding on what programs you want to apply to. You should get a sense from your mentors about how many programs you should apply to and how many interviews you should go on. Um, I think, for the most part, in talking with our fellow applicants, know the the average seems to be somewhere between like ten to twelve interviews. Yeah. Though um, so that said, again, depending on your situation, your guidance from your mentors, definitely listen to them because they have a pulse on like what's happening for that particular application cycle. Finally, you know, you really should start thinking about at this point what you want in your MFM career, because you're going to write about that in your personal statement. And ultimately, when you go on the interview trail, you're going to talk about what do you want out of an MFM career? Do you want to be a clinical person? Do you want to be an academic person, be a grant-funded research person, go into private practice? There's so many different environments for the field. It's so huge. It's so varied. You can meet somebody who does like 90% of their time in an ultrasound suite. You can meet somebody who's like on a worker, who's spending 75% of their time in the lab. Like, no, you really just have to like kind of put that stuff together and start to think about what do I see myself doing? Which for me I think is a big challenge, Faye, because it's like It's the first time that I had to think about there's some finality to this training process.
1: Exactly, yeah. And I think, you know, even between Nick and I, we have very different ideas of what our future careers are going to look like. So I think now we should probably talk about applications because this is kind of where we're heading towards in your third year. So February, March of your third year, this is the time where you need to start thinking about your applications and narrowing your list of where you want to apply to. Also, SMFM is in February, so you should totally go to SMFM at this point and see if you can actually get an abstract accepted and presented there, Um, get connected with people there who could potentially talk to you a little bit more about their specific programs. Um, We did talk about narrowing your list So this is where you should sit down with your mentors to talk about what you want and they can kind of help you identify what programs tend to migrate towards what type of career. So for example, I sat down with my mentor, Dr. Werner, and talked to her about the fact that I really wanted to have an academic career. I really wanted to be someone who um, did a lot of medical education in my time, along with my MFM career where I wanted to be highly clinical, maybe focus a lot more on the maternal aspect of things. And she kind of gave me a list of programs that were like, these would be programs that you may be interested in.
0: Yeah, I think... You know, for me, similarly, I talked with a lot of different people, not just at Brown, but even at other institutions, because, you know, the thought process that I've had with my own career is I really love critical care. And I don't know, you know, there are some people that do this critical care fellowship that's really exciting. And maybe I'll do that, maybe I won't do that, but I wanted to have the option sort of available to me ultimately. Um, And so identifying places that really kind of have that exposure, particularly to critical care, was an important piece in my own application.
1: The other thing that I found that was helpful, at least for me, was using the SMFM website for resources. This was just, I felt like the one place where you get all the email addresses of everybody (laughs) so that you could contact them, Mm -hmm. all the program directors with the program coordinators, and there were also dates for the interview because I like to make my crazy person spreadsheet and know all of the interview dates beforehand so that I can map out which interview I'm going to, even though ultimately it all gets messed up. Because you can't really plan for those things.
0: We're just confirming our type A personalities today. (laughs) You know, the next thing that takes a really long and tedious amount of time to do is going into the electronic residency application service ARIS um, on the AAMC website and entering in all of your things. Fortunately, when you apply to residency, you also go through the ARIS website and surprisingly enough, they actually save all that stuff that you did in medical school. So all of your like little volunteer activities that you listed for your residency application get saved on there and you can keep those. Um, But you do have to update your CV basically through ARIS and add in your residency activities, publications, um, presentations, awards, the, the stuff that you want to say like, I continued my excellence through my residency career.
1: And make sure you read through that and really update all the things that you were doing because I didn't, and someone actually asked me about when I was a musical vocal coach for middle school students.
0: <laughs> I could see that, Faye. <laughs> and the next step kind of uh, at the same time you're updating Eris is gonna be to write your personal statement. A personal statement is that it's personal, and you really want to be able to hand it over to somebody and say that this is my work. And you know, whatever angle you put on it, whether it be your story, your mission statement, your outlook on the field of maternal fetal medicine, you know, you want it to be uniquely you. Um, And so, write a few drafts and No, really, like, don't be afraid to, like, look back at things and change stuff up.
1: In terms of timeline things, you should submit your applications by May 1st. This is really when programs start to actually look at applications and actually start to give interview invites. I think I got my earliest interview invite um, around May 7th. So really, you should be trying to put in your applications before May 1st to give all the programs the opportunity to read your application. Because putting your application in late uh, may not serve you as well because the programs may have already looked through all their applications and sent out all of their interview invites.
0: The crux of interview season for MFM is, you know, it kind of spreads the whole summer, like June through September, but really the majority of interviews I'd say happens in kind of like from mid-July to mid-August. Um, so definitely like if you can, if you're in a position where you can strategize for your you know, class with respect to schedules and things like that, you know, plan on doing the bulk of your mfm interviews again in that mid-july to mid-august range
1: and just a word on interviews in terms of going on the interview and i'm sure everyone knows how to interview an interview well but just a few things is remember to look nice wear a suit make sure that you've bathed brush your teeth um if you wear makeup wear makeup and just look presentable first impressions do count
0: Absolutely. Um, You know, one of the things that's really challenging about interview season is that it's expensive. Um, You know, depending on how many places you decide to apply to, how many places you decide to interview at how far away you're going from where you are currently. You know, the, the unfortunate reality of this is that the cost is exorbitant. It can be several thousand dollars. Um, you know, definitely, like, if you're a think about, you know, talking through finances and things with your partner. We hope that people don't have to take out mega loans to be able to afford this. But certainly, like, again, be aware that it's expensive and you might need to budget for some, like, ramen instead.
1: All right, so these are kind of the sad realities of interviews, but let's talk about the happy parts of interviews, which is actually going to these really exciting new places and meeting new people. And so, what questions should you ask? What should you be looking for? One thing that I thought was really helpful for me is to try and put myself into the shoes of the people who are already there. So, talking to the fellows and really asking them, So, what is your day to day like? You know, is this a fellowship where I'm going to be working? 80 hours a week working harder than I am as a resident, you know, really running the labor floor? Or is this a place where maybe clinical work is there, but you're not there 80 hours a week, you're really doing a lot more research on the side as well, or, you know, working in the outpatient clinics? Um, Because fellowship programs vary widely.
0: Yeah, kind of the other thing that we had mentioned earlier, but now you're really going to want to be able to do for your interviews is remember that not only are they interviewing you but you're interviewing them so you want to know what you want out of a fellowship and be able to ask about that so again if you have particular specific interests you want to say hey what does this look like in this division what is the research profile or the clinical experience associated with this or you know whatever else that you need to get to the next step in your career
1: So just as an example, I really wanted to go to a place that does more clinical or translational research. And so at a few places that I interviewed at, all the fellows did basic science research. They all worked at the lab of one of the um, MFM attendings there. And while the program was really great and the people were really great, I just didn't feel like that would be the best place for me because I really didn't want to do basic science research.
0: I think the other thing that kind of goes along with this is I don't know if you call it a gut feel. I don't know if you call it the beer test, but like whatever it is, you wanna know if these are your people. Um, the just the conversations themselves can be really, really enlightening about your fellowship experience and quality of life. There certainly were some places that I came away from extremely surprised and really I think with hopefully mentor relationships in the future because even in the only 20 to 30 minutes that I get to talk to some of these senior faculty members, they just blew me away with their thoughts, their conversation, and really like what they felt like, you know, was the direction of the field or the, you know, their take on the questions that I wanted to answer. And so that's just, that's just something I think that you get out of a gut feel in the end.
1: And finally, of course, after your interviews are done, after you have finally dry cleaned your suit, um, it's time to make your rank list.
0: <laughs> yeah, so making your rank list obviously is going to matter on you know, your own sort of personal priorities and of kind of weighing your personal, outside of work life, and then your work life and your work priorities. Um, You could be as neurotic as probably Faye and I were and creating the spreadsheets and weighing the pros and cons very objectively as you can. Or kind of like what happened to me in the end is that despite all of that objective scientific method of trying to do it, it ends up in some sort of like mushy gut feeling.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think I... I definitely had a pros and cons list for every single one of my programs, and I think ultimately it came down to gut feeling. Um, The other things that um, at least my mentors have told me was to go ahead and reach out to those people that you like. Tell your number one that they're your number one. Tell your top five that they are ranked highly. Let these people know that you're interested in them. And also have your mentors reach out for you. Have them call the program directors as well because MFM is actually a very small community and chances are that everyone knows each other from your program and the other program. So it really is very helpful that when you have people talking to each other.
0: Thank you notes are kind of from what I've heard a nice thing to do but it's not necessarily a requirement i think that they can sort of help to convey interest ultimately and if you're of a more you know if you want to call it like a southern persuasion i guess then like you no know, by all means writing the thank you note should help you but you shouldn't feel pressured to do so um or think that it's necessarily a requirement of interviewing. you, Your thanks is evident enough in the fact that you probably spent a couple hundred dollars at least flying out and staying in a hotel and getting there for the interview day.
1: I think I've never heard that term, Southern Persuasion, before. <laughs> and I'm inclined to think that you know it because you're from Texas.
0: That's right. I wear the boots.
1: Um, and the other thing is to kind of ease your rank list and match anxieties is to know that some programs just aren't going to reach out to you no matter what. There were programs that I went to that they literally said to me, we will not be reaching out to you. We will not be emailing you. We will not be calling you. And, you know, of course, three days before rank lists were due, I'm sitting there being like, why don't these people love me? Why haven't they called (laughs) me? No one's let me know that they liked me. And just know that some programs, that's just their policy.
0: And ultimately, the goal is to match. Um, If you don't match, there is a scramble process. Um, The scramble process occurs, and the number of spots is variable from year to year, is my understanding. Um, No, and If you don't match, you can always, again, take a year off and gain that experience and reach out to try and understand why you didn't match. You you can always review applications with mentors or with people that you interviewed with and say, hey, what can I do to make myself a stronger applicant for next year? That's a good way to make a connection and is not something that's frowned upon.
1: All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of our applying into MFM med ed talk. Um, certainly, you know, if you have questions out there, you as a listener, feel free to email us at criogsovercoffee at gmail.com. We're happy to answer any questions that you may have. Or if you have any more suggestions, please let us know. We'd love to put it on our website and give um, our other audience members some insight as well.
0: For all you other MFM fellowship applicants or former fellowship applicants feel free to email us or tweet at us share your tips um, because we want to catalog these for future applicants and really have like a nice resource available
1: all right so once again this is Faye
0: and this is Nick
1: and this has been Creogs over coffee